I'm reading now from the start of the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. I'm not sure what page it is on your Bibles, I'm sorry, but Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to explore each one of those uh, Beatitudes one by one. But as I was preparing for that this week, I noticed that so much of the Beatitude comes off this idea of blessing. And perhaps in our day, we don't quite understand what Jesus meant by blessing, but also Jesus is talking to an audience that understands a whole lot more of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament has a particular understanding of that. So I thought before we get into each one of those, beginning next week with Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit, I thought it might actually talk to us about what it means to, for Jesus to say blessing. I want to uh, share with you a, a, a secret of our parenting. Uh, we don't get it right all of the time. <laughs> Sorry, I don't get it all right. That's, that's more accurate. There you go. Uh, we had this uh, computer game, uh, it was a Lego computer game and uh, in the early days of the Lego computer games you could play two player but each player had to stay on the screen. This is pre-inventing the split screen which they now do and so each player can wander as they like. It used to be the most frustrating for me as a parent because the boys couldn't agree in this computer game, who was the leader? And therefore, if someone wanted to go right and someone else wanted to go left, they'd end up with these horrendous arguments and couldn't agree on which way to go. So after one particularly frustrating afternoon for me, I said to the boys, if they can't agree and follow one another, then they'll lose access to the screens. They then proceeded to keep arguing and so I pulled both kids off the screen and they had to uh, continue the afternoon without screens. Now in that scenario, the boys were complaining to me and said that it was totally unfair. 
who's right and who's the person to blame? Am I to blame for taking them off the screens, showing them that if they can't live with the consequences of their actions, then they can't have the blessing or the positive thing that goes with the computers? Or are they to blame for not uh, following each other in the game? What that taught them was that there are consequences for our actions. Think of a slightly different analogy. <coughs> you might know that, and it was shocking to see people uh, in various parts of Australia experience the loss of their home for, uh, from floods. A and we could argue that the home should never have been built in those flood-affected areas, but they were. Now, the government has decided that it's not right that those homes be rebuilt that were destroyed on those areas, and yet the people who live in those areas, some of them want to stay in the flood-affected area. So who's to blame the next time the river floods? The government for not building a big wall around the river to protect these homes, or the people who, against all good advice, choose to build their home in a flood-affected area. Sometimes we live in a world that tries to say that there's no consequences for our actions. But I think all of us know that there are consequences for our actions. It'd be great if we could minimise the consequences for our actions. But that's the framework for today. As we talk in the, the weeks ahead, we'll hear a lot about blessing, but I want us to understand that it's almost like when someone says, if you behave in this way, or if you think this way, or if you, you belong to the kingdom of God in this way, the result of that will be positive in this way. In our day, we don't like the term curses. And, and we, we really have to understand what the biblical narrative is talking about with curses. It's probably not the voodoo kind of concept that we sometimes see portrayed in movies. All the Bible is trying to say is that if there's a certain positive outcome for following the ways of God, if someone chooses not to follow the ways of God, there are consequences for that. Not all of it bad, but you can't expect to have the blessings of God if you choose to walk away from God. And that's the background that Jesus is teaching into when he announces these Beatitudes. There's also a little bit of background in the Old Testament that Matthew is writing to a very Jewish audience. And so they're understanding some imagery here that portrays a little bit about what Jesus is trying to do. So in Matthew's Gospel, these Beatitudes, it starts, now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Luke has some very similar teaching, but he places it on a plain. Why does Matthew place it on a mountaintop? Well, after trusting God to liberate them from uh, slavery in Egypt, 
Moses led the Israelites out into the desert and there he was leading them to go into the promised land and what happened was he sent the people ahead to go and scout out the promised land so that they knew how to enter into it. The people came back and said, no, it's impossible for us to go into the promised land. They are giants and we will be devastated. And because of their lack of trust in God, that generation had to stay wandering in the desert. Had they gone in to the promised land, they would have received all the blessings of living in the land that God had prepared for them. Because they chose not to enter into the blessings of the promised land, they had to live with the consequences of living in the desert. Now, there's another occasion where Moses was asked to trust God to provide water, and he didn't trust God in providing water, and because of that lack of trust, God said, you will not enter the promised land either. So, when it comes time for the the generation had died out, that didn't trust God, and Moses was the only one left, it was time for the ancient Israelites to enter into the blessing of the promised land that should have been for their previous generation. And Moses, before he's sending them in, he gathers them on a mountain to tell them about the blessings of following God and the consequences that the previous generation had to put up with because they didn't choose to follow the ways of God. So Jesus comes on a mountain announcing the way of living just as Moses had announced what they should do when they enter the promised land. Jesus is announcing a new promised land, a kingdom of God and saying, if you live in this kingdom of God, there will be blessings just as Moses promised there will be blessings that go with the uh, entering into the promised land. But if we read the Old Testament, we see a long history of the ancient Israelites not following the ways of God and having to live with the consequences of that. By the time uh, of Jesus, the people had drifted away from following God and the consequence of that was the Roman occupation of Israel. And so Jesus is announcing this new set of blessings in, in light of the fact that they are living under Roman occupation. Jesus actually teaches these Beatitudes in a longer passage called the Sermon on the Mount. This Sermon on the Mount is actually two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. We're not going to go through all of that, but I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 5 to 7 to get an understanding of this. Matthew is highlighting this sermon as taking place on a mountain because of his Jewish audience, they will associate this teaching of Jesus with the teaching of Moses. Now, there are scholars who say Luke sets his sermon on the mount on a plane because he's writing to a Gentile audience and he wants to show that God comes down to the level of humanity, down on the plane, and um, wants to show that Jesus comes as humanity like us. Other scholars say, actually, there are multiple times where Jesus had this teaching And it's likely that Matthew picks one time that Jesus taught this and Luke picks another time that Jesus taught this. Either way, both are trying to set up that this 
is the great reversal. Jesus comes to reverse the curse, so to speak. I know we don't like the phrase curse and, and, and I'm, I'm really not interested in using that word because it has connotations that mean different things in our world today. But Jesus comes to reverse some of the ways in which people thought that they had to follow God and he brings in a new restoration of all things. He ushers in the kingdom of God which will bring the restoration of all things. So Jesus is the person that was foretold in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61 it says, when the Messiah comes, the restoration of all things will take place. And in some of the weeks ahead, we might even read from Isaiah 61. Jesus is the promised Messiah that would come to restore the ways of God and restore people into a relationship with God. So rather than Israel taking the step to return to God, through Jesus, God takes the step to restore humanity to himself through Jesus. And so this Sermon on the Mount, which is a longer manifesto about the Kingdom of God, actually we can sort of condense it down to these Beatitudes. And in the weeks ahead, I'll actually focus on each one of those. So what does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to mourn? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? But the invitation of the Beatitudes, and that's why I've put it onto the slide, blessed are they, and the invitation to you is if you follow these, blessed are you. The invitation is that you can be blessed in the same way that God is, uh, Jesus is inviting anyone who follows the way of the kingdom to be blessed. So what does Jesus mean by blessed? What is Jesus offering here? Well, I'm, as, you, as I've said time and time again, I'm actually not a language scholar. So I'm, I'm trusting other people who are more gifted in this area than me. But the problem is that we have English translations of Greek words and those Greek words are translations of the Hebrew or the Aramaic that Jesus probably spoke to the crowd in. He wouldn't have spoke to the, spoken to the crowd in Greek because most of his audience would have understood the, 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 the local language. And so when we translate from one language to another, it, it can have a different meaning. When we translate that to another, meaning, another language, it can have a different meaning altogether. When you layer over that the fact that some of the words in our English language have changed their meaning in our day, we can see that this is quite a struggle for us. So one of the ways that you could translate the Hebrew into the Greek, into English, is a word that means fortunate. So fortunate are those who, fortunate are those who, fortunate are those who. The problem with that word in our English translation is that in, in 2023, we associate fortunate as financially wealthy. And Jesus is not making a statement about your financial status. So it's probably not a good way to translate it into our English. Now, there are some theologians who are also 
wary of how we translate these words because there is this thing called the prosperity gospel. There are some people who have taught these beatitudes saying, if you follow these, God will bless you financially. Or you, if you want to know what it means to be blessed by God, it means that you live the good life. And so we need to be careful how we translate these things that we now call blessings or the Beatitudes. Another good English word that could be a a, a reasonable translation from the Greek is the word happy. Happy are you who, happy are you who. But again, in our contemporary 2023 uh, era of how we translate or, or use the word happy, we tend to think of it as a mental state that's, that's either positive or negative, you're, either, you're positively happy or you're not happy and, and it's also a transient state, you can be happy one day and not happy the next and, and theologians are, are, are trying to say that the, the original concept, particularly when you look at the Hebrew, is po- possibly, it's, it's not the word shalom but if, we know, if you know anything about shalom, it's a total state of peace that's, that's long, has some longevity to it. And so, this idea of blessed are you is actually an invitation into a state of being rather than a mental state that's transient. So, N.T. Wright, who um, translates his own um, uh, version of the Bible, um, he's an Anglican bishop and a New Testament scholar um, and we saw him when we went to Oxford. He actually translates in his version of the Bible, he translates these as blessings are on or blessings upon. This idea of that there's an invitation to receive the blessing that Jesus wants to give. And so these Beatitudes are to be read as blessings for disciples of Jesus. These aren't virtues for everybody. These aren't things that apply to everybody in all of the world under every form of culture and government. These are invitations to belong to the Kingdom of God and they're not just ideals about how you could live your life. As I was reading more and more about that this week, they're actually saying it's, it, would, it would be close to impossible to a government to take these Beatitudes which are spiritual invitations and then use them to make laws in a, a, a society. Because naturally, governments make laws in society about very material things and these are an invitation into a spiritual kingdom. So they're not a universal manifesto for all humanity everywhere, but rather, if people choose to follow Jesus, Jesus is inviting those people who want to follow Him into a particular way of life. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to unpack what that might be. So, rather than these Beatitudes being a status of life, like blessed are the poor in spirit, is not an invitation to be financially poor. What we'll actually show is it's an invitation into only relying on God rather than financially being poor. You can be exceedingly rich, but realise that it all comes from God and you depend on God for everything and therefore, you are living out, blessed are the poor in spirit, but I'll show more of that when it comes. Again, 
blessed are those who mourn, does not refer to those who mourn and are sad. It actually is a way of drawing into the way that Jesus mourned when he saw people living in injustice, mourned over the way in which uh, people were suffering and he identified with their suffering. Therefore, for us to be someone who mourns means that when we see suffering in the world, our heart breaks for that in the same way that God's heart breaks for that. So it's got more layers of meaning, which I'll unpack in the weeks ahead. But the final reminder is that the Beatitudes are a reminder that the Kingdom of God is now and not yet. That there are some blessings that go with following God's ways, but we also see some of the brokenness of the world around us. And I think in 2023, it's, it's better to say some of the brokenness and the frailty of our world, rather than use maybe the Old Testament language of curses, because God's not cursing the world. Remember, it says in the Gospels that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. It's just that there are some consequences that go with people living out a life that doesn't follow the ways of God. And so there is brokenness in our world. So we see the Beatitudes as an invitation into the Kingdom of God. Jesus is inviting us into that Kingdom and it's the now and not yet. That there are some ways that we see those blessings being lived out, but we also see some ways that the consequences of not living in those blessings are occurring in our world today. But remember as we go into these Beatitudes, and I encourage you in your small groups to discuss these and, and, and wrestle with these. Even wrestle, if you're in a small group this week, wrestle with what does it mean to be blessed? What are, what are the 2023 ways that we use English that might confuse us about this idea of blessing? But Jesus is inviting us into a spiritual reality and blessings will be bestowed on those who follow Him. But remind ourselves that just as Jesus said to Pilate when He was being trialled and put to death on the cross, He said, my kingdom is not of this world. We shouldn't be reading these Beatitudes as a statement of the material and financial world around us. It has spiritual reality and spiritual implications and the invitation is into that spiritual kingdom of God. So gracious God, we praise and thank you for who you are. We thank you that you invite everyone into your kingdom, that through grace and mercy, we have the way of being in right relationship with you. Lord, we think about these Beatitudes in the coming weeks. Lord, we pray that we don't think about who's in and who's out, who's excluded. But Lord, we think about the invitation into the spiritual reality of your kingdom. And so Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to draw us into the ways of Jesus. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.